You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Deandra Fields, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. In my book, Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life, I talk about the effect that being told that you are dying has on your outlook on money and meaning. But maybe I've been too simplistic. It's not just death, but many actual life circumstances that make us reevaluate the importance of both money and time. For me, burning out of medicine did the trick. It made me reframe my values and my ideas of how much wealth I needed to achieve them. For you, it might be religion, falling in love, the death of a friend, or dare I say, cancer. Our guest today, Deandra Fields, is currently a PhD student in nutritional sciences and has a passion for evidence-based nutrition. Her blog is called That Science Couple because together with her husband, Brad, she shares a love of biology and seeking the truth. Her blog is an extension of all that she is passionate about, evidence-based science nutrition advice for long-term health, personal finance, as well as sustainable living. Deandra, welcome to Earn and Invest, nutrition, sustainable living, and personal finance. Hmm. I feel like one of these doesn't fit. Am I wrong? <laughs> oh, well, the question is, which one doesn't fit, Doc? <laughs> well, to me, I think personal finance doesn't necessarily go with nutrition and sustainable living, but maybe that's just my opinion. Okay. Yeah. So I I totally get that. From the outset, it doesn't look like those three kind of go together. But I actually wrote a blog post a while back about the keys to a sustainable life. And so I basically picked out like what from these three different categories is consistent and is shared among the different groups. And so basically what I found is that when you go through financial independence, there's this big community, you know, you're learning a lot of things and you have to commit to this like outcome that you want. And so it's the same thing with nutrition. So I come from the plant-based nutrition community. And so everyone is all willing to provide this information and they're very supportive. So, you know, it's a path. It's not like you're going to just quit cold turkey or go, you know, all tofu in one day. And so this is kind of like a progress thing too, but you only get out of it what you put into it. And so the same thing with like the sustainability too, and the kind of the minimalist movement, right? So, so it's all about like, how much can you downsize and can you be more intentional about your purchases? And so we kind of found out that like all these groups, whenever we learned about it, 
we would go and preach. So we were telling our friends and family, like, you need to go plant-based or you need to, you know, start investing for your future or you need to downsize. And so we kind of had that same passion among all those three different categories. And that's why our blog, we said we weren't going to just choose one. We were going to do all because it's really the different factors of your life coming together. As I hear your explanation, I think of this idea of efficiency. I feel like nutrition, sustainable living, and personal finance, you're really getting the most bang for your buck, I think, in Mm -hmm. all those fields. Maybe that's what ties them together. So you and your husband, Brad, I would almost call you, right, quote unquote, science geeks, right? So Mm -hmm. do you consider personal finance an art or a science? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So I would say from the very beginning, it was a science, right? Because we were like getting the spreadsheets and we we initially started with Mint. So I have to give credit to my husband. I was fine with finances being a mess. And he was the one that said, hey, look, I found this guy, you know, Mr. Money Mustache, and we need to get our shit in gear. And so he was the one that was like, we need to do this. And we got all the spreadsheets and we just started kind of looking through and seeing like, where is our money actually going? And it was interesting because we would think we knew what we spent in the category. And then it ended up being a lot more. And so initially it was more just like setting the budget and making sure we're spending within our means. And then as we progressed, so we had started this in about 2014 So we've been on the path for a while and now it's more of an art. So it's like we still want to do the life experiences. And so if we travel and we spend like $6,000 on a trip, that's $6,000 less that's not going to be invested. And you can look at it it on the long term of like, what are you going to miss and what that money could have been worth? Or you could look at it as the experiences that you had and those memories. And so when we travel, we say it's worth every dime because it really wouldn't move our FI date that much sooner. It might just be a couple months for that one trip that we took. You describe that moment, which I guess was more Brad than you. (laughs) You say in your blog, a few years ago, we quote unquote, woke up and realized it wasn't fun still living paycheck to paycheck. What do you think spurred Brad to do that internet search or find that information that pushed you in this direction? Yeah, so he's originally an environmental science major. And when he graduated, there wasn't many jobs for that field. So he kind of stumbled upon the biotech field, which is where my degree was in, my master's in. So we actually met on the job. And so he was looking at like, how many years have I worked at this company and what do I have to show for it? And he just felt like after all that time, he didn't really have anything. And so it was just like, this is the time to, you know, get in gear and say, we're going to stop living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, we moved in together after only dating for six months, which was really soon. But for him, his lease was up. And for me to move in with him was a financial decision of, hey, it will save him $400 a month, which means that $400 can go towards paying off his student loans or his car debt. And then we also were getting on board and like, how are we going to work together for that next step in our future? So you are currently a PhD student, and I get the feeling that you really love what you do. Why worry about financial independence at all? I mean, if you're kind of passionate about your job, you don't mind going about and doing what you're doing. Why even worry about such things? 
I actually had a kind of a, a gap period. So it wasn't a gap year between my degrees, but I graduated in 2012 with my master's. And so in 2013 is when I got my first temporary job and I got my first permanent job in 2014. And so at that point in time, I was like going into the career saying, I'm going to die at the lab bench. Like this is common (laughs) among scientists. And like, you know, similar thing for doctors sometimes that we just are so passionate and we're supposed to want to do what we're doing as a job as a life. And I've seen people retire at my university now and they still come back every week. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And they're like, (laughs) this is my life because I didn't build anything else in. And so I came from that mentality originally, but then I kind of shifted over time saying that as I got higher and closer to that job that I wanted, I was craving that scientist position. I finally got it after job hopping for a while I got there and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like my dream job turned out to be more of a nightmare. And so that kind of made me realize that this financial independence thing is really important because that high income comes at a price. It comes at a, your health is on the line and your, you know, ability to, to do things, to take time off is, is really hindered because you know, we need to get that product out or we need to get this grant application done. And it's just so much that you have to achieve. And frankly, the the stress was just too much. I said, like, if that's the money that I have to make and that's the lifestyle I have to live, I don't want the money. And I'd rather do financial independence and need less and also enjoy the now more. You mentioned these people who had retired and would come back to the lab because that was their life. Do you think we should envy those people or do you think it should be a warning to us that we're not investing in other more important things? I think it's a warning. So I think just originally, like I was like, I want to win a Nobel prize. And I told myself, but it's going to be after I die. Because most scientists don't get recognized during their lifetime. And so that was kind of a warning, you know, red flag there. That if I have to do all this work and I'm still not even going to be recognized until I pass away, then isn't there something that I could do now, like during my life, that, that may make a bigger impact? And so when they they come back, I wonder, like, well, what else do they have outside of the research? And if they have nothing then that's really sad to me. Like, you know, some of them will just, they'll go out and they'll have these crazy adventures and then they come back like a year or two later just to visit. So it's not across the board, but it's some people, they just gave so much that they had no time for hobbies or other passions outside of the research. Yeah, as we're talking about your career, obviously there were times when you looked very boldly at what you were doing and tried to decipher whether it was best for you or not. A part of your story we haven't talked about yet, but obviously must have had an effect is your diagnosis of cancer. Tell us about when you were first diagnosed the first time. Yeah. So the first time was actually during my master's degree. So it was a decade ago now. And so what happened was, you know, I was doing my research and everything. And 
as a graduate student, I didn't have health insurance for the long time. So it was before they put in place that you could stay on your parents till 26. This is great now. But at that time, I was kicked off my parents. And so it was only until I had gotten a TA position. So it's a teaching assistantship. And then I'd worked out how to get my own health insurance. And I actually got it through the Maryland healthcare program. So the Obamacare Act, that was great. I was able to get my own health insurance. And so I had, you know, some lumps in my neck and they weren't going down. I went in, you know, just thinking, okay, it's probably something small. And then it ended up being thyroid cancer. And so I was in graduate school. I actually ended up getting surgery over the summer. And so this was like a nice break period in my research. So I'd already collected all of my data and done my experiments. And I just recovered from surgery. I had like one dose of radiation. And then I just wrote my my thesis. So I spent that summer recovering. And I chalk it up to like having that you know, that master's program at the time didn't pay financially, but it gave me the ability to take care of my health. So having a couple months off, most people can't afford that. And I was at the right time in my program where I could just, you know, get the work done and then spend a couple months recovering. And so I graduated basically on time. So I was, I had an extra semester But that was something that was already designated to happen. So I did it in two and a half years. And then I graduated and I was like, look, I'm a cancer survivor. And, you know, I did this while I was during my program. And then I went out on the job market from there. Can you imagine what would have happened if you hadn't had health insurance? Like what if Obamacare had never passed? Yeah. So, I mean, if Obamacare had never passed, it would have been very difficult. So I had already put off going to the doctor for a bit because I was just like, yeah, this is a problem, but I feel okay. So, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And so like, I was lucky I had like my brother, you know, he donated to me some money. He, he covered my deductible. And then I had another family member from another state who also sent me another chunk of change. And together that covered like the two parts, the deductible and the out-of-pocket. And so it was just like, you know, this godsend moment that was like, okay, you have the health insurance, you have people in your family that love you and are helping you to take care of this because I had no financial cushion at that time. And so I think after, you know, I left after I graduated that going through that experience, I thought like, well, yeah, what if I didn't have health care? The answer is I wouldn't have gotten treated and it would have gotten a lot worse. And then if I didn't have that, you know, financial cushion, I think that like going forward, I, I, I knew that I wanted to have that, that I didn't want to be living paycheck to paycheck. That I didn't want to have like, what happens if I have another health issue of some sort, I want to be able to pay for it myself. So even having insurance, I want to highlight this idea that it still costs you a decent amount of money, enough money that you mm-hmm. had to borrow from several sources in order to pay for this. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you, you know, just some perspective when people talk about that they don't make a lot of money. Uh, as a master's student in the early, it was like 2010, my stipend was $11,000 a year. So, you know, the healthcare that I had to pay for was only $2,000 for the year, but that's a huge chunk of my stipend. And I still had to pay taxes and fees on that stipend. 
So it's, it's all relative. Like you could think about if you have like a high deductible plan now, but you're making 50 or 60,000. So you're paying, you know, maybe five or $10,000 out of pocket. So it's all relative. Like that would have been very similar to what I had to do at that time. So I could imagine being in your position and thinking two things as I came out of this health scare. One part of me would be like, you only live once. I just had cancer. I'm going to really enjoy myself. Maybe I'm going to spend whatever little money I have. The other side of me would say, this could happen again. I better start saving. How did it affect you? I was kind of in between. The reason being that the master's that I was in was cell and molecular biology. And the reason that I did that is because I wanted to be a cancer researcher. Hmm. So I sat there and I thought, there is no way that I am going to let cancer prevent me from following my dreams and going down this career path that I've worked so hard to get through. I just like, I just spent six and a half years in school, if you count the bachelors, there's no way that I'm just going to like roll over. Right. So I was more passionate and I was more like, okay, like, look, if you look at famous, like female scientists, there's a woman, Rosalind Franklin, and she was the one that discovered DNA with the x-ray crystallography. She died around the age of 40. And so that kind of got into my head of like, look, if she did all this work with radiation, that's why she got cancer and she passed away. I need to do as much as I can now to make that impact in the field because who knows, like, will I make it to 40? You know, I was, I was questioning that at that point in time, like, I don't even know how much time I have. So, so money wasn't so much of a driver as me pursuing that path and saying like, I, like I had friends, like once I got my first permanent job that they were okay, not moving up for, you know, five years at a time. And I just, I had that sense of urgency. That's like, you need to move now. Like you need to progress and go after those different jobs. And they didn't all turn out great, but like, I learned what I didn't want to do from job hopping. Yeah. So not so much of what I wanted to do, but what I didn't want to do. We are part of the financial independence retire early community. A lot of people have dropped the retire early portion, Mm -hmm. but not everybody. And I wonder if your experience going through having cancer, your experience having just gotten health insurance, do you feel differently about the nature of employment? Like, was there a point where you're like, oh, employment's not necessarily a bad thing. I have health insurance. I have some stability here. Did it change kind of how you feel or even how you would talk to someone who's telling you, boy, I can't wait till I'm financially independent so I can get away from working for someone else? Do you think your opinions are any different after going through this? Originally, like after that first diagnosis, like our mentality was, let's try to get to fire, right? We we wanted to retire early. We wanted to, you know, save our money, invest it, do those long hours, do what we needed to do, and then get there. Because the thought was that, well, if I'm not going to live a long life necessarily, then I don't want to spend it all working, right? I want to get there so that I can enjoy it. And like, that's what my husband says. He wants to, you know, go see the country and we wanted to travel. And we wanted to do these things while we were still healthy. 
And so we actually built in some of those trips. We've been on five international trips in the last seven years. So we kind of like stacked them up and said, we're going to experience this now, but we're not running away from the jobs. We just wanted that financial security so that if for some reason I couldn't work, that we had that safety net there. And as far as the health insurance goes, the like the healthcare.gov is still really great for people who are, you know, retired and financially independent because we even looked at for like when I graduate, if we have to buy health insurance through that system because we're working part time, then how much would it cost? And we just like put that into our projected budget. So it might cost us $700 a month. That's what we calculated. That's okay because we know that going into it. So it will be in our budget. As you talk about your experiences, you say we often. So you're talking about Mm -hmm. how you and Brad experienced this. Do you think his experience of this was any different than yours? Obviously, you were going through the procedures. You were going through dealing with this idea of having cancer yourself. But how do you think it affected him kind of both emotionally and as well as his beliefs about money? Yeah. So with the thyroid cancer, uh, that was actually before we met. So I, you know, got introduced to him at work and we were, you know, just talking and I let him know, I looked at him straight in the eyes and I said, I'm a cancer survivor. Are you okay with potentially having to be there by my side in the future if I have to go through this again? And I don't know that it really sunk in at the moment, but he was just like, yes, like, of course. But I gave him the warning, you know, like, like you can tap out now. It's still early on. You don't have to stay. Tell me about how that felt. I mean, that's a difficult conversation. How did that feel for you to say, look, this is something I have and I can't promise you any kind of future other than I've had this problem? Actually, like when I met him, I was in a previous relationship that was not healthy. And so I actually, um, you know, was talking to him some and I moved back into my parents' house and I, I just like asked him like out for like one date. And I was like, you know what, that relationship, getting out of that unhealthy relationship was worth the chance at this new relationship. And I was like, if I threw that all away for one night out, that's okay with me. And so me telling him being honest that this is who I am, I was just like, he could say no and walk away. No harm, no foul. Like we hadn't moved in together, but it just was, it was coming from a place of honesty. Like I didn't want to hide that it's who I am. And I wanted him to still you know, want to be in a relationship with me and not like get blindsided later on, because I've heard of a lot of people that they lose their significant other when they go through cancer. And I wanted it to be that at least you knew going into this. And I was completely honest. We are talking to Deandra Fields, who blogs at That Science Couple, and we are talking about the effect of being diagnosed with thyroid cancer had on both of her emotional and financial lives. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. 
How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Yo, everybody. Today, as we listen to this episode with Deandra Fields, we're talking about how her medical issues, her diagnoses of cancer, have changed the way she thinks about financial independence and life in general. I've been thinking a lot about those issues. As you know, my book, Taking Stock, A Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Regret-Free Life, covers some of these same issues. What happens when a person realizes they're terminally ill? In a lot of ways, it gives them permission to start thinking about those things that they always were putting off. That's the idea behind my book. I think it's also part of the idea behind what Deandra is saying There are things that are important in life, and we need to start thinking about them now before it's too late. There's no better day than today. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode, and don't forget to check out my book, Taking Stock. You can find it on Amazon or go to earnandinvest.com slash book. Let me introduce you. Our guest today is Deandra Field. She is currently a PhD student in nutritional sciences and has a passion for evidence-based nutrition. Her blog is called That Science Couple, and she is a cancer survivor twice over. In the first half of the show, we talked about her being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Deandra, tell us about what happened in 2022. Your health took another turn that you were not expecting. 2022 has been a year. That's for sure. So kind of goes back a little bit further than that. So I've had, after going through thyroid cancer, I kind of wanted to do what I could lifestyle-wise to prevent a second cancer because I've met so many cancer survivors through Relay for Life walks and the American Cancer Society. And they would always come back year after year with, oh, you know, that cancer is gone, but I have this new one. And so to me, it was an awakening of, well, what are we doing as far as prevention? And and most doctors just tell you to like eat what makes you feel good and to, you know, exercise a little, but they're not giving you like real guidance. The only dietary recommendation I got with thyroid cancer was to have a low iodine diet. And the reason for that is because the thyroid absorbs iodine and iodine comes from salt. So it basically meant a low salt diet, which is a good thing, but it stopped there. And so basically I had been accumulating these things of like, well, what can I do? What can I learn? And so I had gone plant-based a couple years back with my husband. We started doing daily smoothies, getting into yoga, all this kind of lifestyle things. And then 
Um, in the summer, I was working out at the gym. And so this was summer of 2021. And I was doing some stretches and some um, weightlifting and I felt a tear in my chest. And it turns out that that was the cancer was basically becoming invasive at that point. And so I Google and try to, you know, of course, Google will give you the worst case scenario. So I knew that as a scientist, like, probably discount the worst case scenario. And what is more likely what is more common. And they said, like, you could just have, you know, muscle fibers being torn, and then you can have fluid buildup. So I kind of put that on the back burner, because I was actually helping to take care of a family member at that time. And it meant a lot of cross country trips to go see them and being in the hospital with them and just like constantly trying to be there for my family. And so I had to put my health on pause because it wasn't that bad. That's what we'll say. It wasn't that bad. And so January hits and my family's, you know, health crisis has kind of subsided. It was a sigh of relief. You know, this, this family member is doing amazing right now. And I'm so happy that I could be there for them. And that's when it hit me and I had to start taking care of my health. So I went in for uh, just, you know, my normal uh, OBGYN appointment and mentioned that. And she's immediately like, all right, you're going off to an ultrasound and an MRI. And within that week, I had the diagnosis. So it went from you're taking care of someone else to now you're taking care of yourself and you're going through this again. Tell me about that moment. I mean, you're a scientist, so you have a certain amount of detachment, but mm -hmm. I imagine that that was really hard to hear. It was definitely not what I wanted to hear. And it's interesting because I had just gotten trying to look for a therapist. I was like looking for a therapist. I'm like, I want to get rid of this baggage that I've carried for so many years of worrying that my cancer would come back, that I would have a secondary cancer. And I was ready to take this baggage and get rid of it. And then this happens at that moment that's just like, you haven't worked through it. So I basically with thyroid cancer, like I said, I took a break during my program, but I picked myself up and I kept going. And so I didn't really acknowledge what happened and I didn't really make changes to prevent the future until a few years later. So for me going through this, like it was almost a sigh of relief for a little bit because the worry was not that I would die from cancer, but I would have a second one and it had, it happened. So now it's just like, well, the worst case scenario is, is over, right? I'm, I'm in it. So I already had to kind of face my mortality with the thyroid cancer. You know, I was 23. Like, that's not normal. You don't normally go through cancer diagnosis that young. So I had to think about my life and, and where I wanted to go. And so now with this was just like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because life is short and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to do as much as I can and actually like, Within a week of my diagnosis, I launched my evidence-based nutrition coaching program. And it was so would have been so easy to just say no and turn that off and just not do it. But I knew that I needed to do that. 
I want to kind of get to that in a moment, but you said something interesting to me. You said, now I'm in it when you were so worried mm-hmm. about having a second cancer and and now you're there. Talk about what in it means. What types of treatments have you been getting? I've kind of run the gamut. So with breast cancer, there is a family history for me. So I did not immediately just agree with the oncologist. I'm a terrible patient. So I know they say the doctors are the worst patients. I think scientists are the number two (laughs) right behind them. Yeah. We just, we do so much research. So I'd seen like my, my aunt passed away when she was in her forties. And so I was in middle school and that's what got me on the cancer researcher path that I was like, I want to make sure no one else has to lose a family member that young. And so I kind of, you know, I went into it and the, the recommendation of course was chemotherapy. And I'm just like, okay, can you tell me if this will work? And so what they turn to is genetic testing because with the genetic testing, they can see what the likelihood of you responding to it could be. And so I know everyone might know about BRCA as like the big breast cancer gene, but there's actually a larger panel. So a panel is just like a larger assortment of different genetic mutations that you can have that would also have a similar kind of outcome. And so as like, I have a big genetic background too. So I said, look, I've had cancer once. This is the second time. I want you to screen me for everything humanly possible and most people don't do that. Most people will go for five or 10 and pass from there. So with this genetic screening, actually, I found out that I had a rare mutation. It's called FANCM, and it's associated with Fanconi's anemia. But basically, what happens is it's very similar in function to the BRCA mutations, with the caveat that it means that you have, if you have like one copy, you can have one or two that are damaged. I only had one, so that predisposes me to breast cancer um, and thyroid cancer and lung cancer and all solid cancers, all solid tumors, so basically everything. And then with that, it also means that you have the inability or impaired ability to repair from DNA damage, and that is the exact route that most chemotherapies go for as they try to injure the cancer cells, damage the DNA, and then the cancer cell can't recover and it dies. So that is where I had to deviate because I said, I don't want to have a treatment that is going to injure me and my healthy cells more than it does actually, you know, attacking the cancer and handling that. So in a, And obviously, if you don't feel comfortable talking about this, you don't Mm -hmm. have to. So you decided to forego chemotherapy and are you doing radiation? Yeah. So so I forego the chemotherapy, although a lot of people disagreed with me, but that's okay. And you can make your own decision. So I made an informed decision. So what I did is I did immunotherapies. And so I was on that for several months. I also had a, a hormone positive breast cancer. So that means it responds to like your estrogen levels and progesterone. So as you go through a normal cycle, a menstrual cycle, those go up and down. So that can influence the cancer and help it grow. So I did estrogen therapies to basically turn off that, you know, that pathway. So I said, I'll go into early menopause. And my oncologist at the time, she told me 
the big benefit of chemotherapy for women who have hormone positive cancers is that pathway because the ovaries will take that up and they usually get damaged too. And so you have for a short period of time, maybe six months to a year where they're not functioning before they can recover. And so I did that. I did an immunotherapy, which basically works inside the cells and it's any rapidly dividing cell would get targeted with that. And then I went on a trip with my family to Italy and we came back. And after that, I got a scan again and it showed that, you know, it was it, it was still progressing some. And so at that point I got surgery and I followed that up with the 30 rounds of radiation. So I did kind of the gambit, everything, but chemo. And then some people have referred to the immunotherapy I'm on as chemo without the IV. So let's talk about what's come of this. How do you think your relationship to money has changed after this second diagnosis? I, I messaged you earlier about like your book and I kind of looked at the the three brothers like and that parable. So I feel like I came in being the youngest brother, the scientist. I'm going to work till I die. Then I kind of shifted to that older brother where it was like, I want to get there as soon as possible, right? Like I get to fire, get to fire and then be done and enjoy all the rest of my life. And so this time kind of shifted me into that middle brother path because I want to, you know, enjoy life now and money is a tool. So I hear that people talk about how money is a tool and most people think of it in the, when I retire, you know, it will pay me and I won't have to work since, but I kind of flipped that around and said, well, what if we do need to use it? And maybe it's not all bad. So I actually wrote a, a blog article a blog article about that being money's a tool and sometimes we need to use it. And I basically went through like last year and this year, I had to make choices to pull out of investments. And so, you know, you can banish me from the five community <laughs> if you want, but I had to do it and I did it to, you know, when I'm telling you about that family member I helped take care of and was going to visit, like they needed things, they needed help. And so I sold some shares to go buy them some things to make the house a little nicer for them. And, And then I also, you know, sold shares and used my HSA to pay for alternative treatment. So when I say I didn't do a lot of the standard, I did go see naturopaths and naturopathic oncologists and I went to sauna sessions and I have supplements. And so I'm, as a scientist, I wanted to say none of that stuff matters. But then when you hear the the case studies, the people with these radical remissions, you have to acknowledge that it's sometimes it's more than just the standard of care. And my life is on the line, so I'm going to be open to anything. And so I, I used my money as a tool and I spent more this year. But if you look at my highest expense, it is healthcare. And I'm okay with that because I'm doing really well now. And if I was cheap, then I can't say that I'd be in the same situation. How expensive has this breast cancer diagnosis been for you? I mean, have you found that insurance has paid for most of it or you still end up paying a lot out of pocket? 
Yeah. Yeah. So one of the great things about being a graduate student is I actually calculated last night and I even posted on Twitter this morning. So my health insurance, they've covered all of my appointments up through say October, right? So from diagnosis through surgery, through radiation, and I've even had physical therapy as well. And so for all of those visits that I've had, it's been over 150 visits. Hmm. So quite a few. (laughs) And in those claims, my health insurance company has paid $103,000. And they have billed me $1.7,000. So I'm about, yeah, yeah, it's like a a 1.6% that I paid. Now there's a couple still outstanding, but after my appointment, there was one in February. So I'd done a couple of the scans after that February appointment, they haven't billed me for anything. So when you get these, you know, the high deductible health plan is attractive because you get that HSA, right? But you have to think about what are your healthcare needs and what is the price control in your state? So as a thyroid cancer survivor, I had annual scans. I had blood work like four times a year and then other doctor's appointments. So in Maryland, the price control is really good. So I was able to have a high deductible plan, still afford to pay all those appointments. And I would only take out like when I hit that pain threshold. So I paid for it as much as I could. And then I would take out a little bit when the markets were up. But here, had I done that, like I would have been paying out of pocket over and over and over again. And that was part of the reason why I waited till January to go in for my appointment. I think part of me knew that this may turn into something and you want it to be all in one insurance year as much as possible. Now I'm still like in kind of maintenance mode treatment. So I have like monthly treatments that I go in for, but that's okay because I've gotten the bulk out of the way. I want to talk to you about what deferred gratification means to you today. Because if you think about the financial independence movement, a lot of us, we're talking about 401ks, we're talking about Roth IRAs, we're talking about backdoor Roth conversions. But all of these really assume this idea that I'm going to be really thankful in 30 years when this pays off, right? How does deferred gratification feel to you today? So it feels like it's not an okay path. I like you wrote about in your book, what scares you more like dying young and not being able to use your money or dying old and running out of money. And I agree that most of the financial independence movement is on that mindset of, well, I'm going to live till 90. And so I'm going to need all this money. And if I don't have it, then I'm going to be eating cat food because we assume there's going to be no social security then. And that's like in our five plan too. Like we actually write a zero there. Anything Mm. will be great. It'll be like that, you know, icing on top, but I'm not going to plan on it. And so it's interesting because like my husband is kind of in that, like, I'm going to die old. I need the money and I'm in that. But like, what if I die young and I don't get to experience things And so we've gone on those international trips because we hadn't traveled out of the country at all before we met, you know, like, I think you went to Canada once as a child, but like, we wanted to gain experiences now. So I would say, hey, let's do this. And let's save for it. And so we had that delayed gratification and that 
every time we traveled, it was paid off within the, the month that we returned. So we saved for it and then we spent it and then we'd pay down whatever we did in country afterwards. But as far as the long term, like I try to balance that. I say, you know, what's my what's my young person money and what's my old person money mm-hmm. and like what's accessible funds. So I I split that like my 401k, there's no need to do the backdoor Roth conversion because that's money for when I'm older. But what I'm doing now is that, you know, I have like a 457, which is like with my university and I pay that as a Roth. So that's going in because I'm in the like very low tax bracket, almost the lowest one that you could be in because I'm a graduate student. So I am I'm paying that now and then I can have that money for like we want to build a house in the future. I consider that funds that I can use now versus, you know, something else like a Roth account, which, you know, I might be putting in for years and years, and then that could be considered older person money too. I like that younger person money, older person money. So Deandra, if I had a magic wand and I said, say, poof, Deandra Fields, you are now financially free. You have all the money you will ever need. How would your life be different? I mean, I would finish my degree because I'm a completionist and I need to finish it. So that wouldn't change. And actually, my life, I don't know that it would change too much. So like, you know, I might buy my parents a house, you know, buy them something smaller that's a little more manageable. Um, I would travel more. But actually, like when, when I graduate next year, like, this recent diagnosis has really made us think like, what do we want? And if we don't know how much time we have, we need to do that now. So like our plan is to get like a camper and we want to be location independent. We really miss our family because we've been away for this is going on year four. So we want to like go and, and stay with family back home And then we want to travel down the coast and there's a couple families down there that we want to spend time with and then like hit the road and see some of the country. And I made a conscious decision in my program to choose a lab that I'm an analyst in. And so I can work remotely. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of, I'm working on either those skills that I can like stay with the lab or get another lab and do similar kind of work that and then my coaching, which is all remote. So I'm kind of building in these like ways, like I enjoy my research and I enjoy coaching and helping people. And so if I'm financially independent, I would still want to help people, you know, and I would still want to see the country. And so it would just maybe take a little bit of the pressure off and then I could spend more on my health. So honestly, like that's probably what I would do would be spend more where I'm already spending it. So what do you want the personal finance world to know about your experiences with cancer? What can they learn from your, from your struggles? I think the number one thing for me is that it's easier to maintain your health than it is to regain it. So I put a lot of work in this year to, to get back to even. And so I think that instead of like working those extra hours, like how can you take care of yourself? Like, If you aren't working out anymore because your commute's too long or you're drinking more because you're stressed out at work, then like, how can you 
you know, you still need to do well at your job, but but is that trade-off really worth it? And can you pull back a little bit? Like, I know you've gotten like the best parts of your job is what you boil it down to. And, you know, some people like they really need that money. But I think like when you have FU money, like we've had a couple of times where we had that big stockpile of cash and we just like would do our own thing. And we do that, like ask for forgiveness, not for permission, right? Like I kind of shifted to a partial remote job And it was just because I was driving so much. I was an hour and a half on the road, one direction to my high paying job. And when I started showing that I was producing more working remotely, they wanted me to work remotely. And so I think like we we should not chase that high, high income, but but what is a step down from that? And maybe it extends your, your time to five by a year or two. But like, how many experiences can you have now so that in case you get hit with that diagnosis or, you know, major home repairs or like something that, you know, just throws your life up and you're not really sure what's going on next, you can say like, look, along the way, I did these things. So I'm, I'm like kind of in that slow fire movement. And, you know, Jess from the Pioneers, she was my first coaching client. And so we, we talked all about this, about how like, we need to enjoy the journey, right? We need to do it now. Deandra, are you optimistic about the future? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when I said before that, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to die, you know, young. Actually, like with my my husband, Brad, like we, we joke about it. Like we're going to live to 105. We're like, <laughs> look, we're plant-based. And every time I go into doctor's appointments, they're like, are you on this medication because it doesn't look like it? And then like, they'll just see like one little thing in my blood work that, that gives an indication of, yes, you're taking it. But they're, they're like wondering, why are we not seeing those side effects and those symptoms? And I like told my, my oncologist, I was like, yeah, I just did two hot yoga classes this week. And she was like, what? Okay, great. So, you know, I think just like, doing what you can to get the most out of life, right? And and doing that now. So I I have a very good outlook. I know that, you know, I can't go back to that high paying job, the high stress that it's just not for me. I'm someone that can't afford to do that. Um, and so what I need to do is put myself first. And if I can, you know, help other people improve their health as well, then that's a passion that's going to fill me up and allow me to give more. Well, Deandra, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. It's a complicated question. How do we wake up in our lives and yet still learn how to defer gratification enough to take care of our future self as well as ourself today? Hearing your story has been incredibly instructive. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how can people get in contact with you if they want to? So first and foremost, what's coming up next in your life? Yeah. So coming up next in my life is I'm accepting clients for my evidence-based nutrition coaching program. And so I have two different types. I have a monthly coaching program that goes for six months. So that one's a little bit more free form and it's not as in depth, but it's more, if you need that accountability partner, then that's me for you. And then I have the second one, which is more like if you're dealing with like food allergies and you just can't figure out what's going on or you have a chronic illness. So maybe you have cancer or diabetes or heart disease 
then I have that more in depth, like one-on-one kind of walking you through and, and trying to make these adjustments quickly so that you can see progress. So, so that's what I'm doing. I'm expected to graduate in May of 2023 uh, with my PhD and early next year, we're going to be at economy. So hopefully we can see you there. And then we're also doing a camp mustache. Yeah. So I, I think that's about it. There's what other kind of things are we doing? I'm working on a book, which may come out next year. So we'll have to see how that goes. But yeah, we're, we're doing lots of things and, and we'll be traveling next year. So hopefully we can make more people, more people in the five movement then. And what is the best way to reach out to you if people have questions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're That Science Couple and you can go to our blog, thatsciencecouple.com. Or we're most active on Twitter. So it's uh, science underscore couple. We're also on Facebook and Instagram occasionally. So that's where they can reach us. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank DeAndra Fields. That's a wrap. Awesome. As you know, I keep things running for the after show just as we chat. Um, Thank you. I mean, that's thank you for coming and telling your story. Um, These are not the easiest things to talk about and certainly your own experiences. I know you've gotten them out there on that science couple, etc. But it's also brave to get out there and just talk and speak your truth. And um, I'm glad you did. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be able to share this because I know a lot of people think that when they get older, that's when they'll have to deal with this and they expect that. Um, But you don't really realize like what kind of a toll it will take if it hits you when you're young. And just like, that's why I wanted to start the coaching. Like if I can help people get on track now, like, like I don't see the point of rushing to financial independence if you've lost your health along the way. And so, like, if I can just give one thing, it's to just put the effort in now, like, no matter how small it is, like, it will pay off over time. And Deandra, I do not sense from you at all any, like, poor me. Like, I don't I, I don't sense that in you whatsoever. I mean, people can't see you, but I'm you have a big smile on your face. You're animated, like... You don't sound like the person who spends a lot of time worrying about such things. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you just like this is our life. And of course, I would love to not have it, but I can't, you know, sit and dwell in that. So, like, what I do is like I sit there, I feel the emotion, I get upset, I get angry, I cry. It's fine. But then it's like, but what are you going to do with that? And so I can be all in myself and just say, woe is me, pity me. Or I can make my dreams come true. You know, I can be on the Earn and Invest podcast as a guest. Like, that's awesome. That's a you, dream. You, you can also do more amazing dreams than that. Yeah, though. I can, I can <laughs> write a book. Like, yeah. you know, it's just I'm making these awesome connections in the financial independence community that I say, like, it doesn't matter where I came from. It's where am I going? And this is my tribe that I finally found. And I'm not going to yeah. give that up easily. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good tribe. Um, and it's a, it's a good place to be. I think, as you know, my story, I mean, when you find where you belong, it's incredibly energizing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And you start getting this real sense of, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be around and what things are supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, I mean, I can see it in your face. You're in the midst of that, right? You're in the midst of yeah. saying, oh, this is where I belong. It's a very nice feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think that helped me power through, too, because, you know, I had one day where, you know, I was uh, I had a client meeting. I had um, one of those like free one-on-ones that I do to see if someone would be a good fit for my program. And then I had like an email from someone who like, I had just kind of helped in the early beginning, but she didn't even sign up. And she was like, look at all these awesome things that are happening. And you're my inspiration. And she's like, I have your checklist on my counter. And I'm just like, this is the life that I could live. And my therapist was like, no, that is your life. That's the life you're living. Live that today. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Yeah. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch wherever you get your podcasts.